Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Coronavirus, unlike 9-11, we're scaring ourselves to death. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, think about that, folks. Um, in 9-11, there were terrorists who attacked us um, the World Trade Center, Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C. It was terrorists who were attacking us and causing terror. Now, it's we are our own terrorists. We are causing our own selves to panic, to go beyond what I called and was talking about in a previous podcast as coronavirus stress syndrome, we have gone into coronavirus mass hysteria, coronavirus mass psychosis. Um, we are uh, making the terror worse for ourselves in so many different ways. And I'm gonna be talking about that today, um, a tale of two terrors. <laughs> and, uh, but before I get into some of the ways that 9-11 and, and, and coronavirus uh, are similar and different. Um, I want to first talk about a story, a personal story about um, a fire marshal named John Knox. And he was a legendary um, FDNY, Fire Department of New York, fire marshal who has now died from coronavirus. And uh, he died 19 days after he originally passed out on February 26th from what was thought to be flu. Um, now, how did this happen and why is it particularly sad? Because it's particularly sad because um, the reason why he died, the reason why he was more vulnerable to coronavirus was because he had developed COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, from being a hero uh, at ground zero. Uh, indeed, he had retired by that point. He was 84 years old when he died, and he had retired from the fire department, although he was still working, even till this day, even till the day, February 26th, when he passed out, uh, from again, what everyone thought was the flu. Um, he was still working. He was working, um, doing uh, investigation of fires. So uh, 
so you know, it wasn't that he was sitting at home <laughs> uh, watching television. So his son uh, told Anderson Cooper that his father, John Knox, um, was had when he retired from the uh, from the New York Fire Department, he took various supplies and uh, mementos, various things with him that could be helpful uh, at ground zero. And so when he, when 9-11 happened, when he heard about the Twin Towers, he rushed down to ground zero with all of the supplies that he had taken basically from the fire department. He had told the fire department that they could bill him for the various things that he took. And that came in ironically, uh, very helpful for 9-11. So let me tell you a little bit more about him. Um, he, after he was brought to the hospital and he was sedated and on a respirator at South Nassau Medical Center in Long Island. And um, his son was saying at that time um, that he, it was touch and go, but that he had nine lives. His father had nine lives. And so he really thought that he was going to pull through it. Now, again, um, most of this was, you know, he, he had more hope at the beginning um, before he had actually been diagnosed as positive for COVID-19. So uh, his son said, with all he's been through with the FDNY and his time in the military, this little bug can't be the thing that gets him. Now, this was relatively early on before so many people were dying and before we realized just how lethal it could be. Um, when, when, when he was taken to the hospital on February 26th, originally, um, he, it was thought that he would get fixed, you know, the flu would get fixed with antibiotics, but he wasn't getting any better. He was getting worse each day. And um, they didn't test him at first for coronavirus because they knew that he hadn't traveled outside of New York and he hadn't been in contact with anyone who had traveled to another country or who had symptoms of coronavirus. Now, of course, um, it was either that he was in contact with someone who was asymptomatic, didn't know that they had, hopefully didn't know, not just purposely, you know, was uh, going around people, but hopefully didn't know that they had coronavirus. And, um, you know, that that's how he got it. Although, of course, it could be from what they're calling community spread, which basically means being out and about and not knowing where you, where it came from, possibly going into a, a room where someone was, where there were droplets still left of coronavirus that were still active. Anyway, he was a fire marshal in the 1970s. He investigated um, terror bombings, um, that were very famous. He was still reviewing cases, as I said, doing private investigations. Um, he was activating two matters, a deadly fire in Harlem and a deadly fire in the Bronx on Beach Avenue. Um, 
but the problem was, as I said, that he really, you know, he had this underlying disorder, the worst kind of underlying disorder, because it was chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, his lungs were affected by that. And of course, that made it, you know, that's where, that is where the coronavirus hits. So, and he had this COPD from breathing in toxins at ground zero because he had spent a lot of time there trying to help people. So um, before he died, his, his son, Zach Knox, and um, the, his three daughters were making a hardship plea for doctors to use an experimental drug called remdesivir um, on, their, on their father because this was a drug, this was an antiviral medication that was developed to fight Ebola. And um, it had been used in clinical trials for coronavirus sufferers in China, and it showed some promise. So his family was trying to get the doctors to get that drug to give him. However, um, they were told that because um, their father had renal failure, now this presumably wasn't from before, this was you know, with the progressing coronavirus, he had renal failure, he couldn't be put on this medication. So then they were trying to get another drug similar to that antiviral drug. But in the meantime, uh, their father died. And what was really sad was that, um, um, let me just, I, I just wanted to tell you this, he had had what they call, what they're calling a storied career as a Marine, as a firefighter, as a fire marshal and a union leader. And he had also been spent two years in the NYPD before he um, went to the fire department. And he was in the fire department from 1960 until 1998. And then he was founded a union for fire marshals and so on. So he was a real man's man. You know, he, he, yes, he was 84, but aside from that, he would be someone who you would think, and as his son thought, that he had nine lives from all of these other occupations that he had done for 84 years or almost, um, where he had put his life at risk to help other people, all of these things, putting his life at risk to help other people. And so the saddest part, was that um, he, that as he was dying, or when the doctors realized that he was dying, they told the family that they couldn't be with him anymore because they didn't want the family to be exposed to uh, coronavirus. And they asked his family uh, to quarantine themselves. So before they were, had been at the bedside watching doctors in hospital gowns and face shields work on their father, but now their father was in isolation. Nobody was allowed in. They couldn't be by his bedside and hold his hand, which is really, I think, the worst part of coronavirus is that as people die, they're not able to be with their family. Um, the best that they can hope for is talking to them on phone, or FaceTime, but that's really the, the worst part about it, that this death, it's a very lonely death. And I'm gonna, we need to take a break now, but when, I, when we come back, I'm gonna talk about how loneliness in general is the key word here, is the tragedy here 
both in terms of people dying, you know, how the, the, their last moments, um, and in terms of us, <laughs> you know, how all of us are being forced into isolation and loneliness and how that's affecting us. So stay tuned. You're listening to uh, The Terrorist Therapist Show. Welcome back uh, to The Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about coronavirus. Unlike 9-11, we're scaring ourselves to death. Now, um, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but it is really the panic and, and uh, the draconian measures that are, we are being made to take from so-called authorities or people in power um, that are making, <laughs> making our lives much worse and, um, and putting us in danger in terms of uh, dying from loneliness and dying from out of fear um, and I'm going to get into all of that, but let me just give you an example, a metaphor uh, as to how people, again, these people in power, I'll just call them, um, and I'm not referring to President Trump, who I think is doing a great job. Let me put that out there. You know, people, he has been criticized um, for not freaking people out from the very beginning. Um and I think his manner, you know, things that he's been saying, of course, he's, he's kind of stepped it up a little bit, but um, his manner, he, then he got calm again. <laughs> uh, his manner, his not only, um, uh, not only what he is saying, but how you see him be, you know, reflecting calm himself, I think has been very helpful. Um, but I'm talking about, primarily I'm talking about mayors and um uh, governors and uh, what they are doing. So here, this I think that let me give you what I call the toilet paper metaphor. Okay. Yes, we know there has been toilet paper panicking, panic buying of toilet paper, and still is. <laughs> There's I don't know if you, I don't know if you have toilet paper near where you are. <laughs> But the stores where I am are still running out, but they but there is more. They are getting restocked. It's getting a little better. But there has been and still is to some degree panic toilet paper buying. So okay. So what happened when um when you know when there wasn't enough toilet paper? Um, what did people do? Of course, they used other things uh, to substitute for toilet paper, like paper towels and um, uh, little things, you know, uh, uh, moist towelettes of various kinds and so on. And you could see what was going to happen. Um, I didn't hear anybody talking about how you should not throw away these uh, substitute things that you, I mean, I'm sorry, you should not throw away in the toilet bowl these substitute things that you are using for toilet paper. And so now what? Now we have, uh, there's news about um, how the septic systems are being clogged by the various things that were used as toilet paper. 
you know, and instead of paying attention to that kind of thing and warning people, I mean, it should have been kind of self-evident, but some people need to be warned about that, um, how you shouldn't put these other kinds of things, heavier things into your toilet septic systems, it, which in, you know, I'm, I'm in California, so it's going out into the ocean. Um, but, but no, so they didn't think about the consequences and now we have stuffed up toilets. <laughs> And, and I ventured to say, not a lot of plumbers who are willing to go out, you know, um, and, and fix them since we're being told uh, to stay inside. Of course, I guess plumbers might be considered essential workers. I mean, they certainly are, really. So anyhow, so how is 9-11 and the coronavirus different and similar? Well, um, the, again, the main difference, as I'm saying, talking about today, is that we are scaring ourselves to death. All of the measures that are put, being put into place, um, notably that we should stay inside. And it's, I know it's different in various places uh, in America and all over the world, the level to which we are locked down. Well, the thing is that, uh, yes, of course, we don't want people running around like the... Um, people on spring break on Florida beaches, that is uh, a bit too much. They shouldn't be <laughs> gathering half naked, uh, talking to each other, not even a foot away, you know, because it's, um, this is flirtation time. So they, are, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of closeness, bodies close together. Um, that's not right. But at the same time, the idea that we should be locked down in our houses isn't right either. And um, the main, one of the main differences between 9-11 and, and now is that being after 9-11, first of all, of course, that was a sudden event. Um, yes, we were scared that there was going to be more to come. I mean, it was three events, really, or four events, if you want to count the Twin Towers as two separate events. So four events that happened in very close proximity. And then it was over. But yes, of course, we weren't sure that it was completely over, where there are going to be more attacks. But after a while, we kind of felt that we were somewhat safe. And we were told and we um, eagerly did uh, socialize with each other. We got uh, social supports. We were able to and, and enjoy talking to our friends and family and gathering in restaurants and going to shows, going to movies, doing all of these things. In fact, there was a general sense that we should be supporting these various businesses um, that were closed originally, uh, not because necessarily, not because anybody told them to close, but because at least the businesses that were at the sites or near the sites that were attacked obviously didn't have much choice and other kinds of businesses as well. But now businesses are being told to close and people are being told to stay inside. And so we don't have that camaraderie that was a, um, that was a big help, a big um, softener, a big uh, benefit to our feelings of fear. And also instead, the media is driving us crazy with headlines that are sensational, with talk that are sensational. You probably um, have heard in, in all media, I'm talking television, radio, um, 
uh, print, internet, all of that, you know, it's a, a headline grab uh, to get people, get eyeballs. And so the, instead of like talking about, um, you know, you, you'll hear words like the coronavirus crisis. Why is it always the coronavirus crisis? Why can't it be, you know, the coronavirus um, epidemic? I mean, that's kind of scary too. Or pandemic, yes, sometimes it's used pandemic. That's a scary word too. But um, the coronavirus illness, corona, or just coronavirus. <laughs> um, but it's with all these words to make you even more scared. And what's similar is between the 9-11 and coronavirus is that um, the terror that we feel is similar in that we feel vulnerable, we feel helpless, we, and we feel this um, uncertainty. We're unable to know what's coming next. But now, as I was saying, with 9-11, with, uh, with 9-11, the uncertainty didn't last as long as the uncertainty for coronavirus is lasting. So um, what people, you know, to, to compare it to the toilet paper metaphor of not, uh, not, um, and, and let me sort of clarify something. The reason why that fits is because it's the panic, the panic buying of, of toilet paper and of guns, and we haven't seen the result of the guns yet, uh, like I get, like the metaphor with the toilet paper, but this panic buying in general, and you know the the uh, example that was most prevalently used was the toilet paper. Um, the panic that we were whipped up into uh, with coronavirus that made us do these panic buys. That's what I'm talking about, and that how the results uh, were not well thought out. Just like the results of putting us, making us stay in our apartments or our homes, uh, it, the results have not been thought out. And there are very serious results that, um, again, the mayors and uh, governors and all that have not either are not, I, I suspect that they are not aware of, um, but they certainly aren't paying attention to. You can, the, the uh, lethality of, of, um, of being alone, of isolation and loneliness, the lethality of that is actually worse than the lethality of coronavirus. Now, um, you know, you, you don't see, you, you know, the, what you're seeing, the lethality of coronavirus, and that's very dramatic and all that, whereas the effects of isolation and loneliness are more long-term, take a little longer to um, express themselves. Well, we'll be talking more about that, the various dangers and, and still comparing them when we come back. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. As you can hear today, I am fairly angry as I am just, as I often am actually. Uh, in talking about things uh, on these podcasts, talking about something related to uh, to whatever it is that I'm talking about, um, you know, in regard to terrorism, and that somebody is screwing up is, is usually what it is. Well, um, today I'm angry uh, about the mayors and governors and various other people who are screwing up uh, in telling us, in making draconian measures 
to uh, supposedly protect more people from coronavirus. Now, and so we're talking about um, coronavirus, unlike 9-11, we're scaring ourselves to death. The panic is unbelievable. Um, you know, people who, and I keep from, as each uh, day goes by, I become more aware of various people who I know, you know, I talk to people and they tell me about people they talk to. And I hear about people who, uh, before that, <laughs> I had thought of as being very intelligent and relatively calm and sensible. And I'm hearing about how people are totally, totally freaking out. And, um, and a lot of it is coming from the, as I was starting to say before, the media and also um, people who are trying to sell us things. You know, we're getting uh, emails. I'm sure you've been getting some too with headlines like coronavirus, uh, the sneeze that kills or the sneeze of death because they're trying to sell you a mask or something. Um, so we are, this panic that we are doing to ourselves that is coming primarily from the media um, is, is not healthy because as I talked about last time, the, the coronavirus stress syndrome, do listen to that uh, podcast if you haven't listened to it already, where I talk about how stress kills we there before coronavirus there has been lots of research i am i trust that you have heard yourself about all kinds of things about that stress does um from heart attacks to high blood pressure to um to ulcers to are mainly what i talk about in regard to coronavirus is how stress weakens our immune system and how that is making us paradoxically more vulnerable to coronavirus. So if you're sitting at home huddled up, watching your television, one channel after another, listening to the radio, reading the internet or uh, you know, things that newspapers on the internet, all, all kinds of things on the internet, just driving yourself more and more insane <laughs> with fear, Please listen, this is making you more vulnerable to coronavirus and it is getting you sicker in other ways as well. I mean, surely you've heard about how stress causes ulcers, stress causes high blood pressure, causes all kinds of whatever, actually what it causes um, is besides a weakened immune system is whatever part of your body, whether it's genetically or um, through some experience you had, like I was talking about the firefighter, he was helped out at ground zero for a long time, so he had COPD. Whatever things your body um, uh, detriments, you know, however your body, wherever your body is vulnerable because of your genetics or because of things you've experienced in life, stress works on those vulnerable parts and makes them worse. So, while we're being told to hunker down, um, uh, shelter in place, um, stay at home, you know, there are different words being used all over the world. 
whatever it is, what <laughs> this message of if everybody just stays in their own little home, somehow the coronavirus is going to disappear. Now it is true. Uh, this idea of flattening the curve. Um, you know, I, 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 as I've mentioned before, I am not just a psychiatrist and an MD, but I also have a master's in public health. And I did a, um, a, uh, I, I received a fellowship from the NIMH in epidemiology. And I did my research in, at UCLA in how to use uh, the media to prevent and treat illness. So this is where I'm coming from. It's not, you know, I'm not just speaking out of my, <laughs> you know what. Um, so um, people are not, are not thinking about what impact making us stay at home is actually having. Now, that is a kind of stress. Even if you're, you know, it's all different sorts of stress for different people. Like um, some people are talking about how being cooped up with their family, their kids, their spouse, um, whoever they're cooped up with, or being alone being cooped up. All of these things, ha each of these things have their own stressors. And they have done, way before coronavirus, they have done studies on the impact of social isolation and loneliness. And these studies have found that um, the effect, psychological and physical effect, is, um, is quite significant, particularly on your cardiovascular system, um, on inflammation in your body, you know, wherever that may be, again, the most vulnerable parts of your body, hormonal effects, sleep-related effects, and of course, emotional effects. And some of these studies found that the mortality um, of isolation, either by itself or isolation plus loneliness, the mortality can be as high as 30% in this one particular study, or, or actually it was a compendium of studies. Now, you know, that, it doesn't mean 30% you die tomorrow. <laughs> if, you, if you're alone in your home for a week, you die tomorrow. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is that way before coronavirus, these studies were done and, um, and it was found that there was a very significant lethality, uh, particularly people getting heart attacks and stroke and high blood pressure. And, um, and let's talk about the psychological, of course. You know, people are getting more, as a, of course, as I was saying, anxious, um, psychotic, <laughs> uh, depressed. Um, whatever psychological problem they had before, it's going to be a lot worse for them now uh, because, you know, that also heats up whatever psychological, wherever your vulnerability is. In other words, if you have obsessive compulsive disorder or um, whatever, whatever kind of, of course, if you have uh, alcoholism or drug abuse. I mean, I guess on the positive side, you're not supposed to go out to, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that because actually some of the things in LA that are being bought, panic buying, is wine. 
um, and other alcohol. You know, people are trying to uh, escape from this horrendous situation. So, um, so it, it aggravates whatever psychological disorder you may have. And if you never even had any before, it, it causes them. It can cause them and is likely to cause them the more we are kept isolated and alone. Now, of course, there are things that you can do to um, try to change this course. Um, like uh, in terms of loneliness and isolation, of course, using your, using your gadgets, using your telephone, using your FaceTime, using your computer, um, all, any kind of, any way to connect, even um, taking walks and if you, can, if you can shout to each other from six feet away, uh, anything that you can do. Uh, and, if, and remember, if you are home alone, <laughs> Um, that didn't work out too well for Macaulay Culkin, and it's not going to work out too well for you, for you either, unless you make efforts every day to reach out to people. In fact, I suggest that you make a list of people now and make, put, make a list with their telephone numbers and their uh, email addresses and plan to reach out to at least three of them a day in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening to keep yourself more sane. Um, I also want to make the point that some of the things that I mentioned as that are still sticking with us after 9-11 and before coronavirus are things that we can expect to happen after the coronavirus is over and that we can try to ward off as best we can now. So for example, obesity, the obesity epidemic came, began after 9-11, when we started stuffing ourselves with comfort food. And that is what people are doing now to the extent that they can find food. I mean, that's part of the panic buying. Um, and we want the nurturance that we felt when we were little babies, being uh, given a bottle or held to the breast, given food when we did something great, our parents rewarded us, or when we did something that when something happened to us that was made us sad, they would, lots of parents would give kids food to try to cheer them up. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that as kids, but we law, in fact, these are the memories that we long for that make us um, buy comfort food. So it, the memories comfort us. Another thing that has happened since 9-11 uh, and before coronavirus is, as I was starting to say, there was an increase in alcoholism and drug abuse. And so we have to ward off, um, try to be very vigilant to not have that happen again. Um, then, of course, uh, oh, one thing that was really significant is how we developed, many people after 9-11 developed PTSD of course, if they were at any of the sites, but the majority of people weren't at any of the sites of the terror attacks. They developed PTSD from watching television, particularly from watching the Twin Towers fall again and again and again. So I am sure it will be the same thing um, after the coronavirus, that many people who spent their time watching media uh, hearing about how we're all going to die, 
um, are going to have PTSD because PTSD comes from being faced with a life-threatening disaster, a life-threatening tragedy, whether it's a terror attack or, or um, something else that could cause our death, you know, something else that's life-threatening like coronavirus. So I am certainly not trying to make you more scared. I am trying to make you aware of all of these things, particularly the importance, you know, when, when after 9-11, we were told our patriotic duty was to go out and um, do our normal activities, go to the movies, go to the games, go to restaurants, go to all these different things that we would normally do, don't hide under the covers. And instead with coronavirus, we're being told to stay in, hide under the covers. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.